God's word to us and is given to us because he loves us. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand what it is that you would have to say to us this morning because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of truth, the voice of love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the last few weeks, uh, except for last week for the uh, Sunday of Pentecost, uh, most of the sermon texts that we've been looking at have all been within the context of Jesus telling his disciples that here soon he is going away that he is leaving, and the disciples do not take too kindly uh, to these words whenever Jesus say them. In fact, they are pretty much freaking out. Uh, Jesus actually uh, refers to the fact that they're freaking out. A little earlier in our passage today, in verse 6, Jesus says to the disciples, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. Your heart. And as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus is trying to convince the disciples that his going away is ultimately to their benefit, that actually it's going to be better for them uh, that he goes away. But uh, obviously the disciples are having a hard time buying that argument. But you can appreciate what the disciples are going through because this is difficult for us too. As well, Jesus is not physically, tangibly right in front of us in his flesh and blood. Jesus has gone away from us, and his absence gives us sorrow. He has not yet returned. And even if you firmly believe his promise that he will neither leave us, nor forsake us, even if you firmly believe his promise that by his Holy Spirit he is with us now and he will come again to bring us home, even if you believe these things, it's still hard. It's still difficult. We know this experience in all sorts of ways. You know, a loved one leaves for a trip to go excuse me, to go away for a few days or maybe even months at a time or a loved one even just runs out to go to the store and run an errand. And we're sorrowful while they are away. We long for them to return and to be with us again. 
We can say, I have faith, I believe, but this life would be so much easier to cope with if Jesus was just standing right here next to me. You know, there's a false piety that true Christian maturity does not experience sorrow. There's this false piety that says that sorrow is not something that you as a Christian should feel, or at least it's not something that you should admit to if you do feel it. That if you do feel sorrow, you must leave it at home. Don't bring it in here, especially in this place. And that is such a lie. It is such a lie that feeling sorrow somehow communicates a lack of faith, even a lack of joy. We can have sorrow that Jesus is not physically, tangibly right here next to us right now. And we know that we can because we see Jesus comfort the disciples in their sorrow. Jesus comforts the disciples in their sorrow. And so he too also comforts us in our sorrow that he has gone away, that he has not yet returned in the fullest. So let's look at how does Jesus comfort us in this sorrow that he is away. Well, first and foremost, he just simply acknowledges that they are sorrowful. He sees it. He knows it. He hears it. And he acknowledges that they are sorrowful. He points out to the disciples that they feel this. And like most human reactions, I'm sure the disciples started to get, you know, squirm a little bit. They didn't necessarily want him to say that. They wanted to hide it. They wanted to suppress that they were sorrowful. They didn't want to acknowledge it. And they certainly didn't want Jesus to know that they were sorrowful. But yet, he acknowledges their sorrow. And I don't think that he ridicules them for it. I mean, why would he? Jesus openly wept multiple times for his friends. He expressed his own sorrow for Sadness. In fact, he expressed his own sorrow for sadness that he sometimes was responsible for. That he knew his friends were sorrowful because of the decisions that he himself was going to make or was making. And it made them sad. And he expressed sorrow for that decision that made them sorrowful. And you know what? That's okay. God sees your sorrow. He knows whatever it is that brings you sorrow. He comforts us in our sorrow that he is going away by acknowledging that it is a legit cause of grief. But Jesus does something even more. He doesn't just comfort us by acknowledging our sorrow. Jesus comforts them and comforts us with something better than the certitude that we think will satisfy us. He comforts us with something better than the certitude that we think will satisfy us. Certainty. Certainty. I think that we as a people vastly overrate having to have all the answers in order to be content and have peace. This demand to have all the answers and be right all the time in order to be happy in fact, is doing quite the opposite of making us happy. And to be honest, I think it's at the center of what 
causes so much divisiveness and polarization in our culture today. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that we need to be certain of and can be certain of. Of course there are. But I think we often believe that we are entitled to a level of certitude that, quite frankly, just isn't possible this side of Jesus' return. We want to know how it's all going to go down at every step and at every point on this journey, this pilgrimage, as Jameson uses often with Jesus along the way. And friends, that level of certitude that we so often demand, that we so often want, that we so often are convinced that we must have in order to have peace, well, Jesus just doesn't promise that level of certitude. You see, the comfort that Jesus gives, this comfort that is greater than this level of certainty, is a Christ-shaped comfort. It is a Christ-shaped comfort. For three years now, at this point in the Gospels, these narratives that we have been reading, for three years, Jesus has been with his disciples. And he says that there are, he's told them lots of stuff, and he says there's still many more things to say to them, but he says he cannot bear them. They cannot bear them now. There are many things I could say to you, but you can't handle them right now. Whenever I read this account in the Gospels, and uh, my initial read on this interaction, what Jesus says to the disciples, always goes to that iconic scene in the movie, A Few Good Men. And I know you're all just like, of course, Brian, his first thought goes to movies and TV. Yes, it does, actually, because I watch way too much TV. You know what I'm talking about. That movie, A Few Good Men, that courtroom scene when Tom Cruise's character, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, the JAG lawyer, has got Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Nathan Jessup, on the stand. And he says what? He says, I want the truth. And Colonel Jessup says back, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> well, I don't think Jesus' approach here is Colonel Nathan Jessup's approach. At least, Lord, I hope not. Instead, even though that's where my mind first goes, where it goes to next, instead I think that Jesus' response here, when he says that they are not ready, they cannot bear the truth, they cannot handle what else he has to say to him. Instead, it's more the testimony of Corey Ten Boom. Do you know her story, Corey Ten Boom? Corey and her family hid Jews in Netherlands during the Holocaust. And they were betrayed, and her family was caught, and they were all taken to concentration camps. Her father and her sister would die while in prison, and Corey herself would barely escape the gas chambers. And in Corey Tim Boom's most famous book that she wrote, The Hiding Place, she recounted a story of when she was a little girl, and she unfortunately witnessed the death of a baby. And she was understandably shaken by the experience, and she wept to her father, Casper Tin Boom, and said, I need you. You can't die. You can't. And so, of course, seeking to comfort 
and counsel his frightened daughter, Corey's father, Casper, sat down beside her and gently said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And she sniffed a little and she replied, why, just before we get on the train. Exactly, her father responded. And our wise father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, well, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you everything right now. I'm not telling you everything. I'm not giving you the ticket for the train now because you might lose it. It'll come when the time is right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand even if I told you anyway. He's not chastising them. Don't read a tone of chastisement. Jesus is loving them. He is loving them in this moment. He said, I could tell you all sorts of things and how they're going to go down, and you're just going to be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and confusion. It's better that I don't tell you because you cannot bear them yet. Listen again to what he says in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. When I say that Jesus comforts us with a Christ-shaped comfort, what I mean is, is that he comforts us with himself. When he says the Spirit will come and guide us into the truth, that's not the same thing as certainty of having all the answers to all life's problems and questions and quandaries and dilemmas. It's not the same thing as having all the tensions in this life answered and therefore removed. I mean, the cross of Jesus is him hanging in the balance between all the tensions of this world and holding them. Not removing them, but holding them in himself on the cross. The truth that Jesus comforts us with is himself. The one that just prior, earlier in this ongoing discussions with the disciples, what did he say? I am the way. I am the truth and the life. The Spirit will give you the truth by giving you Jesus. The Spirit will comfort you by showing you Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus more than it is about having all the answers. The only thing that is going to bring us comfort is not more answers. It is deeper and deeper communion and intimacy with Jesus, not merely intellectual, but the presence of Jesus with you every moment of every single day. The comfort the Spirit gives us is pressing into us more and more the truth that Christ is our life. Yeah, but Brian, what's so wrong with 
having all the answers? Well, nothing necessarily. There's nothing necessarily wrong with having all the answers. It's just vanity to try and have them all. If you don't believe me, then read the book of Ecclesiastes. That entire book, the entire point of that book is that you are never going to have all the answers, and that is okay. You don't need them because the presence of God with you is enough. The presence of Jesus with you is greater than any certainty that we think we have to have. It is being quiet. It is being comfortable in the silence and not demanding. Trusting, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, the Spirit has been given to me personally so that by true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.